You're listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Hereford. If you would like to find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. We're going to carry on our series in looking at the fruits of the Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit. I gave away what I was going to speak on the, on the Holy Spirit. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, first of all, you don't have to shout out, you can if you want. Um, if I asked you what the evidence of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life would be, or in a church, what would you say? Would you say it was signs and wonders? Um, would you say it was miracles and healings? Would you say it was tongues or prophecy? Um, and all those things are listed, as we know, in 1 Corinthians 12 this all the gifts and Paul tells us to eagerly desire the gifts but I'm not going to talk about the gifts today because um, these aren't the only way we can see the Holy Spirit working in people's lives I would even say they're not the most important ways um, of someone with filled with the Holy Spirit so I just want us to turn to Galatians 5 um, 16 should come up on the screen. There we are. Okay, so I'll read it here. I don't know if it's the same version. Yeah, not quite, but don't worry. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, this is a good list, isn't it? Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And here Paul's um, writing to the church in Galatia. And if you've read that book, you'll know that he has quite strong words with them because they have totally missed or lost sight of what the gospel's all about and they were trying to do things in their own strength and according to the law rather than through faith um, and when we get to this bit in this chapter he's reminding them of what it means to walk in the spirit to keep in step with the spirit and you notice in here he doesn't mention any of the gifts he's mentioning what we call the fruit of the spirit so if we want to see evidence of the holy spirit in our lives that we are walking and keeping in step with the Spirit, then we need to look at these fruits. And no spiritual gift 
however great they are, not dumbing down the spiritual gifts. We all, Paul says, we eagerly desire the gifts, but no spiritual gift can compensate for a lack of fruit. I can be the best prophet in the world, but if I'm not loving, that's, or Paul says, it's like a clanging cymbal. So this is, it's a huge topic. Um, I could have done with nine weeks. Tim only gave me one. <laughs> you give me nine. Yeah, so it's huge because as you know, there are nine fruit. So at least nine would be good. But anyway, we're going to try and do it all in one. Um, and we can always look at it another time, I'm sure. Um, so I, when I, um, Ashley and I were going through, we adopted our little girl, who's not so little now. Um, but when we were going through our training, um, we had homework to do some weeks. And one week, the homework was list the qualities you think a parent should have. So I was thinking, and I started writing, well, loving, you need to be patient and kind. And I thought, oh, I know this list. And I uh, went to Galatians 5 and just copied it out. And, um, and I, I realised like never before, why we need the fruits of the Spirit when we're parenting. Because, um, yeah, we do. <laughs> it's a challenge. Um, but not only in parenting, in every walk of our life, we need to have the fruits of the Spirit. Um, but if you're like me, I hope you are, we fall short a lot, don't we? I think there's many days I get to the end of the day and think, I think I've actually fallen short of all of the fruits today. When I was set out to be patient and loving and kind and I've been argumentative or angry or whatever. So it's, it's hard and I want to have a look and, and unpack it and see how we can walk more in the fruit. Remember when Paul was writing this letter, he wasn't writing to an individual, he was writing to a church. And church is full of people and people that are different to us. Um, and so, you know, it's easy, well, I think it would be easy to be very patient and loving and kind if I'm on my own in my bedroom. But when we're with other people, that's when the rubber hits the road, isn't it? And that's when we, we need to show those, those qualities. Um, you know, church is full of people who think differently to us. Um, People who rub us on, up the wrong way, maybe. People who do things differently to the way we do it. So we've got to learn as the body of Christ to, to walk in the spirit and have these fruits. So the challenge is, how much is the fruit shown in my life when we're doing life together? And what's the answer? Is it to try harder? No. So we're going to look at that now. Just think, um, just want to... If you can imagine two trees, two apple trees, and from a distance, they look exactly the same. They're green trees with apples on them. You think, oh yeah, they're apple trees. But as you get a bit closer, you'll see that there's a difference. So the one tree is a normal apple tree. Um, and it's, it's blossoming, and it's got apples on it, and it's looking lovely, and it's bearing fruit. Um, and it's... It's, yeah, just a, how a tree should be. Now, the other tree has got apples hanging on it, but when you go nearer, you can see that it's tied, the apples have been tied on with bits of string, a bit like baubles on a Christmas tree. So somebody's tried to make it look like an apple tree by tying on the, the apples. 
And it can be like this in, in our lives. So the first tree is where the sap is producing all that fruit, all that energy inside the, the tree that's needed to produce the blossom and then the fruit. Um, and that's the Holy Spirit in our lives. If the Holy Spirit is in our life, the Holy Spirit causes us to just blossom and, and have the, that fruit. It's, it's the sap, if you like. But so often, we behave like the second tree. And we look at our lives and think, oh, it's looking a bit bare, not seeing much fruit there. And so what we can do is tie on some bits to make it look better. And we can try harder to be more patient and to be more loving. And we do it in our own strength. And we get up earlier and read our Bible more. And all those things that are good, I'm not saying don't do that, it's a really good thing to do. But we won't see the fruit if we're trying to do it in our own strength. Paul said he worked harder than anyone. Now, I'm not saying work is, is a bad thing, it's a good thing. But he goes on to say that it was through the grace of God within him that he worked. So even our trying harder needs to be fueled by the Holy Spirit. So often we try and bear fruit with strings attached. But what happens when we do this? One of two things. One is we do really well, maybe just for a bit, but we do really well. We found that we're really patient and really kind. We think, yes, I cracked it, well done. Um, and what happens then is we can become quite proud and we can come a bit self-conceited and we can look at others who aren't as patient and think, oh, they're not very good, I am. <laughs> and, and that's not good. Um, and the other thing that can happen is we fail. And that's probably more likely, actually, is that we get to the end of the day and think, I blew it today. Um, and what can happen then is we can just feel a bit sorry for ourselves and think, I'm not very good. I'm not a very good Christian. I'm not very loving. I'm not very patient. I'm not very kind. And we really down ourselves and go, mm, and might as well give up sort of thing. And, and that's not humility. In fact, it's actually pride, but shown in a different way. Because we're pretty conceited to think we can do it in our own strength anyway. So, um, yeah, those two things can happen if we, if we try and do it our own strength, try and bear fruit on our, on our own. So how do we bear fruit with no strings? How do we produce this fruit? So I just want us to look at John 15, 4 to 5. Yeah. And this is Jesus speaking and he says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I live in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. Amen. That's what it's all about. So how do we bear fruit? By remaining or abiding in Jesus. What does that mean? How do we do that? Well, I think it's by, by coming to him daily, thanking him for all that he's done on the cross, reveling in him, in, in the fact that he's taken every failure, every sin, 
every mess up on himself. And in exchange for that, he's given us his purity and the right standing before God. And if you want the right term for that, that's called justification. That he's taken all of our mess up and he's given us all of his goodness. And we are right before God. And just coming day by day to revel in that is what the gospel is. You know, the gospel is good news. And it's, a, it's not just relevant when we get saved. It's relevant every day of our lives. Um, we don't move on from the gospel. We go deeper into it. Every Sunday is a gospel message that I've put here. And why am I saying that? Because as we do that, as we re go deeper into what Jesus has done for us, there's a change in our hearts. The Holy Spirit comes in and softens our hearts and he makes it a rich, fertile soil in which the fruit grows and we become more like Jesus. And the posh name for that is sanctification because we're becoming more like Jesus. And as that happens... We'll, we'll display more of the fruit in our lives because who is as loving as Jesus? Who is as patient as Jesus? Who is as faithful as Jesus? So as we become more like him, we'll show the fruit. So what happens when we mess up? Do we feel sorry for ourselves? Do we get all grumpy? What happens when we shout at our child instead of listening kindly? What happens when we lose patience with the person who cuts us up when we're driving? What happens when we speak unkindly to our husband or wife or our friend? We don't feel sorry. Are you feeling, are you, some of you feeling a little bit <laughs> convicted? Don't feel convicted. There's an answer. Um, we repent. We go to the foot of that cross again, that cross where Jesus took all our failures and all our mess up, and we find forgiveness and grace to help us in our time of need. So you don't need to feel bad and guilty because we can go to Jesus day after day after day. So I'm just going to have a very quick whistle-stop tour through the fruits of the Spirit, all nine of them. Well, I won't be at hours, promise, but it's good. they're all good. So let's have a look. And we're going to, in each one, see how they, they're applicable to us, but also just have a look and see how Jesus perfectly demonstrated them. Good. So first one. What's the first one? Love. Love. So it's not a coincidence that this love is at the top of the list. We had a really interesting conversation with Georgia about this the other day. So, um, because it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. And by that I mean all the others are an expression of love. Um, let me just um, read to you 1 Corinthians 13. You know this, sorry, not quite that slide yet, just 1 Corinthians 13. Um, because this, if you want to know what love is, this is what love. I want to know. This is it. And it's read at most weddings, isn't it? But let's, let's have, a, have a look. So love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It isn't proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's what love is. It's, you know, there's, we talk about love a lot, don't we, in our modern world and very much obviously on um, the emphasis on romantic love in films and what have you, which is wonderful. But this is love. This is real love. So if we just put up that next slide with a little tree on it, and I just found this, thought it was really helpful. So can you read that? Well done. Yeah, Tim's at the front. Can you read it at the back? No. Okay, I'll read it out anyway. Can you read it? That's because he went to the right optician. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the fruit... <laughs> I've done it. They're getting smaller at the bottom. A E I O U. So, the fruit of the Spirit, it's headed, and there they all are there. And on the left is Galatians 5 22, 23, and we've listed the fruit. And on the right is 1 Corinthians 13, which we've just read. And we're just linking the two. It's really good. I got ever so excited about this. So, the first one is love. And we've just read, love never fails. That's what love is. Next one, joy. And what does Paul say in Corinthians? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Rejoices. Peace. Love does not envy. It keeps no record of wrongs. It's not out for revenge. It brings peace. Patience. Love is patient, says there. Kindness. Love is kind. Goodness. Love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. Faithfulness, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Gentleness, love does not boast, it is not proud. And self-control, love is not easily angered. Isn't that great? I don't think I've ever seen that before, that Galatians and Corinthians are the same thing. They're talking about love and all the different elements of love. And, um, you know, when we are saved... We experience, don't we, the love of God in our hearts through Jesus and what he did for us. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings that love into our hearts so that we can carry it wherever we go. We sang this morning, fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. That's, that's what happens when we get saved. Because we are filled with the love of God and we carry it wherever we go. We love because Christ first loved us. There's a quote here from Jonathan Edwards, some of you may have heard of him, theologian. Um, if you want to put that up, I think it's, yeah. He says this, it is from breathing of the spirit that true Christian love arises, both toward God and man. The spirit of God is a spirit of love, and, it, when, it, and when it enters the soul, love also enters with it. That lovely. As we love, we put the needs of others before our own. We serve them. Love means saying, whose need can I meet today? What did Jesus do? He just met needs, didn't he? It's saying, whose need can I meet today? Not who will meet my needs today. 1 Corinthians tells us that when everything else passes away, love will remain. 
And what better example of love than Jesus? John 15 goes on to say, no greater love has him that, than the one that lays down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. No greater love. And Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God showed his love, that Jesus died for us. And again, we sang this morning, that's our firm foundation. That's our rock, is God's love for us. And that's the love that we carry. Amazing. So just going on then, let's look briefly at all these other bits. Just going to go through them very briefly. Just remembering that they all come out of a heart of love. So joy, yay, joy, that's a happy one. <laughs> so joy is more than happiness though. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. Um, so format, foremost, our joy is in Jesus, it's in the Lord. It's not happiness based on our circumstances but it's a joy overflowing from a heart that is captivated and in awe of its saviour. And that's how we can know joy even when we're in a hospital, don't we? Because of, because of the joy that we have in knowing our Lord. That's right. And the peace, well, we'll come on to peace, but yeah, that's the, the joy that he brings. Um, and it's, it's tough. I'm not saying... I'm not belittling hard times. You know, we do all go through hard times and there is a time to weep and there's a time to grieve. But under all of that is a joy in our hearts because of what Jesus has done for us. The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So are you feeling weak or helpless? Rejoice in Jesus. Again, we sang this morning from Psalm 23, my cup overflows with joy, I feast on his pure delights. Let our cup overflow with joy because we're feasting on his delights. But also, I just wanted to speak briefly too, that um, our joy can be with each other as well. Um, in Philippians 2, Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. What made Paul's joy complete? It was seeing God at work in the lives of his fellow believers. What makes our joy complete? Is it seeing God working amongst us? You know, when we hear testimony of, of what's gone on in our friends' lives, it brings joy, doesn't it? When we, when we see our friends um, growing in God and that, Paul said, that made his joy complete. That's a challenge, I think. You know, what's making my joy complete? Let it be seeing what God's doing in other people's lives. Um, let's rejoice when we see those around us growing in their faith and becoming more like Jesus. And what about Jesus? Going back to John 15, um, Jesus said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus was and is the most joyful person who ever walked. Even in the most adverse of circumstances, he knew joy. 
Hebrews tells us that he endured the cross because of the joy set before him. So he went to his death and died the most horrible of deaths because of the joy that was in him that was set before him. So let's, let's be like Jesus. Let's be full of that joy. Peace. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that's one for the fridge, isn't it? I love that, that verse. When we know God, we have a peace that the world doesn't understand. And we are to be those that work for peace and strive for peace. So not only can we know a peace um, because, of, because we know Jesus, but we are to make every effort to build peace. Romans 14 says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. The challenge, isn't it? So how do we do that? Well, we always assume the best rather than suspecting the worst. We're always the first to ask for forgiveness, even if the other person was more in the wrong. We stay away from gossip and we honour others when talking about them when they're not there. That's how we do peace in, in this setting. You know, such a challenge. Isn't it easy to join in some gossip? So easy to, to criticise when somebody else is. But the challenge is to honour, to talk well of people, to think the best of people and to be the first to ask for forgiveness. And Jesus, he was the Prince of Peace. It says in Isaiah, he was the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. His rule and reign are one of peace, and we can know his peace. Moving on, the next one is patience. Now, I think patience is really tricky, and whether it's become harder, I don't know, because we live in a world where we get things straight away. Feel a bit hungry? Go on, just eat, get something delivered. Isn't it? It's all we can get the other side of the world in hours, whereas it used to take months. So I think that in this world of instant gratification, patience is sadly lacking. We want to get places with as little delay as possible. We get really cross when there's a traffic jam. We want resolution to difficult situations immediately. We think, God, do it now, do it now. Why am I going through this? We get impatient with each other so quickly. If the other person isn't doing what we think they should be doing, when we think they should be doing it, and in the way we think they should be doing it, we can get impatient. But what does, what does the Bible tell us? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. That's, that's what it is, being patient with everyone. And Jesus, you can't get more patient than Jesus. He is so, so patient with us. And when we're tempted to be impatient, just remember how, he, how patient he is with you and your failings and your weaknesses. Paul recognised this. He said to Timothy, God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realise that they too can believe in him 
and receive eternal life. Paul knew how patient Jesus had been with him. And when we realise that patience that Jesus has, he says, oh, Han, it's okay. Let's just get up and go again. You know, we need to have that same patience with others. And leading on from that kindness, kindness is a step on from patience. Patience overlooks offences, but kindness repays them with love. We did a little while ago in Bible study, we went through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's full of this about going the extra mile. You know, somebody takes your shirt, give them another one. And it goes so against the grain of what life is like now, isn't it? It's all about yourself and keeping yourself um, all about me. Um, but this is about going the other mile. So in other words, when someone's in, unkind to us, we shower them with kindness. When we, when, you know, we don't retaliate, we respond with blessing and kindness. That isn't saying what they did was right. It's recognising it was wrong, but blessing them anyway. That's hard. We need the Holy Spirit in us to do that. Jesus, oh no, Romans says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Little quote I found said, the kind are able to give a blessing receive a curse in return, and then go on giving blessings. And Jesus, we don't get any kinder than Jesus. Titus 3 says, When the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. How amazing is that? Not because of anything we've done. In fact, what has man done? Just hurled insults at God. But he deals with us kindly on the cross. And day by day, he deals with you kindly, not harshly. He goes the extra mile for you. Goodness. That's a good one. <laughs> what is goodness? It's more than being bad, not being bad, I've put. It's more than not being bad. It's a disposition to being generous and helpful. Got the next slide, yeah, no, yes. This is another well-known theologian, Charles Spurgeon. And he said this, let us be on the watch for opportunities of usefulness. Let us go about the world with our ears and eyes open, ready to avail ourselves of every occasion for doing good. Let us not be content until we are useful, but make this the main desire and ambition of our lives. Wow, the main design and ambition, be good. To look for opportunities to do good. What about Jesus? He was the good shepherd. We are told in Acts that he went around doing good. Wherever he was, he did good, making the most of every opportunity. He is good. What did we say this morning to him? He's good. All the time, he is good. And we also sang his goodness will lead us home. It's the goodness of God. We sing about the goodness of God. He's so good. And he looks for every opportunity to do good in your life. And we need to do the same. Look for every opportunity 
to do good to those around us. Nearly there, faithfulness. What's faithfulness? Doing what we said we'd do. Being true to our word, even when it hurts. In the little things as well as the big things. Sticking with people in their hard times and not abandoning them when it's inconvenient or unpleasant. Praying when we said we would pray. That's what faithful, faithful friend sticks with you, don't they, through thick and thin. And that's what we're to be. Show that faithfulness. And Jesus, he's faithful to the end. Hebrews 2 says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus is faithful to keep his promise. Faithful every day of your life, God is faithful. Um, what a faithful God have I. We used to sing that song. He is faithful. Gentleness. This is an interesting one, gentleness, isn't it? Because you can think gentleness, oh, nice and gentle, um, almost weak. But in the Bible, this is a quote I found, I can't remember who said it, but in the Bible, gentleness is emphatically not a lack of strength, but rather the godly exercise of power. Interesting, isn't it? It's power, but godly power. Proverbs 15 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Oh. Who, who here has given a harsh word? <laughs> um, it's so easy, isn't it? You know, again, I'm thinking of parenting, but you know, when they, they do something to annoy you sometimes, and, and how, and then you give a harsh answer and so then it goes do, 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 and it escalates into this huge thing um, and yet a gentle answer turns away wrath oh to be more gentle um, and to turn away wrath gentleness is an expression of humility you know we're not trying to get one up on the other person it's humility it doesn't get easily angered um, and Jesus, now this is really good. I saw this the other day. We looked at it at Bible study. In Matthew 11, in that famous, um, well, let's read it. Matthew 11, 28 to 29. It's come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And there Jesus is saying, I'm gentle and humble in heart. In other words, when he's saying heart, he means he's very core, like a stick of rock. What's running through him? What is his heart? And it's gentleness. He could have said, he could have described himself as being powerful because he is. He could have said he was majestic and that he was holy because he is but he describes himself as being gentle and humble in heart. He is gentle. We can find rest for our souls because he is gentle. And the last one, self-control. For the grace of God, this is Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, 
It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Self-control. There's a battle. We, we read in Galatians, didn't we, about this battle within us between the flesh, walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. And we can choose to walk in the flesh or we can choose to walk in the spirit. And it's that that takes self-control, choosing to walk in the spirit. Paul said to Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. With the Holy Spirit inside us, we are able to possess self-control and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. As a result, we can live in a way that is honourable to God. And what about Jesus? Nobody demonstrated self-control like Jesus. Just think of when he went into the wilderness and was tempted. You know, he could have given in, but he didn't. He had self-control because he knew his God and the Spirit was within him. Um, when he was arrested, remember when he was arrested and Peter cut off somebody's ear? You know, he could have, at that point, Jesus could have called down angels and he could have shown everybody who he truly was, but he didn't. He didn't retaliate. He was led to his death because he knew that was the will of God for his life and he had the Holy Spirit within him. Not my will, but yours, he said. And he exercised self-control greater than we'll probably ever have to. So, after this tour of the Holy Spirit and of the fruit of the Spirit, how do you feel? You feel a bit bad. <laughs> you feel like, oh, I messed up even on the way to church today. I reckon some days, in one hour, I've messed up on all of the fruit. And you think, oh, that's not a good morning. You know, we might be tempted to feel really bad because we blow it, don't we? But let's just remember, just think back at those two apple trees. We aren't meant to hang these fruit on the trees of our lives. They grow. And how? By abiding in the vine. And I know that's a bit unsane. Abide in the vine and apples will grow. That's not quite right. But anyway, you know what I mean. We abide in the tree. We abide in the vine and fruit show we abide in Jesus so when we mess up when we're unloving when we lack joy and peace when we're impatient unkind missing opportunities to show goodness unfaithful lacking gentleness or self-control and giving in to sin what should we do and I'm just going to wrap up this by what our response should be when we find ourselves in that position so um, we're going to look at three R's, not reading, writing, writing and arithmetic. I never get that because that's an A. Uh, anyway, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, writing's not even an R. <laughs> Just realised <laughs> Anyway, these are three different R's and they all begin with R. Um, the first one is repent. Confess your sins honestly and specifically. Jesus isn't surprised when we've messed up and we go to him. He's not going to be, you did what? He knows. But confess your sins honestly and specifically and then trust afresh in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. I read this, I thought this was good. Remember, we are not justified by our fruit. We're justified by faith. We can mess up every day and that doesn't, doesn't um, undermine your standing before God. You are justified by faith because of what Jesus did. You're not justified by your fruit. Your fruit comes as a result of being justified. But it is that you are not justified by how gentle we are, how good we are, how kind we are. After repenting, we request. We need the Holy Spirit every moment of every day. Ask the Father for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit in your heart. In Luke 11, Jesus said, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's ask the Holy Spirit every day. Renew, that's the last R. Finally, we renew our gaze on Jesus. Here we find, and I, I didn't write this, I've, I've um, some, done by somebody called Scott Hubbard, but it was so beautiful. I just want to read this out. Here we find our fruitful vine, our Lord of love, our joyful King, our Prince of Peace, our patient master, our kind friend, our good God, our faithful saviour, our gentle shepherd, our brother who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet with perfect self-control. Just as no one can sit beneath a waterfall and stay dry, so no one can gaze on this Jesus and stay fruitless. Amazing. No one can, just as no one can sit beneath a waterfall and stay dry, no one can gaze on this Jesus and stay fruitless. It's not just a fleeting glance, it's a lifestyle. We need to make closeness to Jesus, abiding in him, communing with him, our aim, because when we do that, he floods our heart with his grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't a legalistic list of things to do. This is a beautiful privilege. I just want to finish with um, a quote from Richard Sibbs, a Puritan. So he was like hundreds of years ago. But this is what he said. Can you put that last? Do we entertain Christ to our loss? Does he come empty? No, he comes with all his grace. His goodness is a communicative, diffusive goodness. He comes to spread his treasures, to enrich the heart with all grace and strength to bear all afflictions, to encounter all dangers, to bring peace of conscience and joy in the Holy Ghost. He comes indeed to make our hearts, as it were, a heaven. As we walk in the Spirit, he makes our home a heaven, a place where God dwells by his Spirit. And day by day, we become more like Jesus, demonstrating his character by growing and showing these fruit. Amen. I just want to finish in prayer. Um, this, this is a challenge. But the challenge is not to try harder. The challenge is to abide in Jesus. So um, let's just pray. 
Father, we love you. And we really long to be those whose lives reflect your goodness and demonstrate this fruit to those around us. So we come to you and say we're sorry for the times that we haven't walked in the spirit. Sorry for the times we've strived in our own strength to gain this fruit. So we ask you, we ask you, Father God, to fill us again with your Holy Spirit, that we might gaze upon the face of Jesus again, that you would soften our hard hearts and make them a fertile soil for your love, joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, and your self-control to, self to flourish and to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.